lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a wash party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me. With me, as always, still not from California, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? How you doing, Mike? Uh, uh, I don't... Hi, hi. Uh, I see, you know what? Biding my time waiting in the weeds all week for the one that actually knocks you off a little bit. That's my only goal at the beginning of this. That's my only goal to start this podcast. But wouldn't you want a smooth podcast? Wouldn't you just, like, rather set me up to, like, knock something out of the park versus, like, miss a bunt? Nope. That wouldn't be real. (laughs) You know know how it is. Like, everyone always talks about the line about your real friends. It's like, your, you know, good friends... When they call you to bail them out of jail, you come right away. But your best friends, you're sitting next to them in the cell. Yes, yes. The uh, like, um, what kind of friendship do y'all have? Well, I mean, that's the there's an old Cat Williams bit that's talking about like uh, calling a white friend and their willingness to like just do anything. He's like call a white friend at four a.m. He's like, hey, what? Oh, oh this is a missed call. like, huh? You're looking for who? Shaniqua. No Shaniqua here. What? Oh, that's a nine instead of a seven. Well, we'll call that and then call back and we'll get this thing figured out. <laughs> oh, so there's that. So that's why I started the podcast off this way, so that we could get to that very moment. Uh, we do have a good podcast coming up for you guys today. Huge uh, NFL weekend coming up that we can get to. It's Friday, so we will have... Six Thick Picks going into the weekends. We will have Brandon's spooky Locktober underdog play of the weekend that, you know, got off to a start. It's gambling. It's always going to go hairy. Brandon feeling good about the one that we've got here. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've been fast food heavy this week, but we've got the perfect finisher for that going into the weekend to whet your appetite. That's not even a pun. That's just, I think, the fact of the matter. I can comfortably state that. You can you can patch stuff on the back for that. 
every once in a while. I already think I I already think I've like torn something in my shoulder, so I'm not gonna try and pop my shoulder out patting myself on the back. Oh, because I, oh, I, I actually think there's something out of place here. <laughs> I thought you were so old that you you, you threw out your shoulder teasing. No, that will that will be the day that I start to retire from the podcast game. Much like Andrew Luck, if I lacerate my spleen as a podcaster, I promise you I won't keep doing this all that long. But, Brandon, um, the lacerated spleen of the NFL appears to continue Ooh. to be. Before we get to all the good football from yeah. this coming up this weekend, and man, we talked about it last Friday, the palate cleanse that is on its way, both college and pro, is substantial. But the NFL is going to need it after another Thursday night football performance from hell. And Brandon, it's really part of a day for the NFL that was largely forgettable if you were the league office. And first and very separate from that is the part that we get to laugh at, which is Thursday night football, where the Washington Commanders technically win this game. I would argue there were no winners and may god have mercy on all of our souls back-to-back weeks 12-7 win for the commanders against the bears in thursday night football i will put my hand up and say i was wrong last week during thursday night football's colts broncos game i said that i thought this one would be better i would go out in the limb and i was wrong out on that limb it took us well into the third quarter to get the first offensive touchdown of the game it came in very dramatic fashion and was awesome. This was a game that largely mimicked... Brandon, this reminded me of a game that was played in the snow. Like, I think of all... Like, the yes. Sean McCoy running around in Buffalo in a foot of snow where none of the game plan you had for that week matters because the weather is so inclement and so shitty that you're just waiting usually for a special team's mistake. And this game that the Washington Commanders won with quarterback Carson Wentz throwing for 99 yards was won on a muffed punt by the Chicago Bears that set the Commanders up inside the goal line for a touchdown that they went out and got. This was a snow football game that just happened to be played in normal weather. It wasn't even a takeaway, Mike. It was a giveaway by the Chicago Bears that let the Washington Commanders win this football game. Yes, it was unless like a snow game, you're trudging through the elements of the earth and like the things that are just naturally going on. It was an ass game. It was a cheeks game where like the players were trudging through just being what looks like subpar uh, talent and a subpar football players all trying to make something work all at once. Mike, uh, you said no one won. I won because I, I woke up to see that Mooney pass, that beautiful pass from Justin Fields after thinking I could take a quick nap before the game. I, sh- I should have known Thursday Night Football was going to let me take that nap and I was going to get a full night's rest before I got to the real action. Yeah, time better spent by you than anyone watching and ingesting that game. And listen, I always have a ton of respect for the guys that are out there on the field, especially on a short week. True. They're battling. We know this Bears team. It really, uh, up front, still... And part of it is Justin Fields took eight sacks on the night. A bunch of those the Bears' offensive line fault. A bunch of those Justin Fields' fault waiting. And he seems to be a guy that's not comfortable letting it loose unless it is the big play down the field that things are set up and designed to do. He took a beating last night. Really felt bad for dude. And again, some of it's his making. No sacks are always on the offensive line or always on the quarterback. There's plenty to go around when eight are doled out during that game. But it was nightmare fuel. I think there were thir- or 13 combined sacks taken in this game. Yeah, I mean, but I think Carson Wentz started taking fewer sacks. Oh, no, eight combined, eight combined sacks. Sorry, it was okay. three by the Commanders and five by the Bears. Still plenty right. to go around for the Bears, but not eight. 
Right, yeah, Carson Wentz was sacked a little bit less. He turned the ball over a little bit less this game as well. Mike, I'll go I'll go along and say as troubling as Justin Fields' arm was, and you can go, uh, see Ryan Fitzpatrick for the hard commentary on that, his legs were beautiful, Mike. And that's one of the things I think, like that uh, that scramble, 39-yard scramble, 100, and, uh, 100 uh, a minute and four left on the clock, and it looked like he was skating Literally, ice skates, and and that's why he's, that's why he's Ryan a lot Fitz- faster than I gave him credit for. So I, much I knew faster. He, I knew he was gifted in college, but every time he takes off, there are not that many players in this league. Like south of Lamar Jackson, I don't know if there's a more electrifying runner at the quarterback position in this league. Jalen Hurts is as good and productive as any runner that we have, right. but he's not electric in the way that Justin Fields is. Uh, uh, watching Jalen Hurts run is like watching Mark Andrews or any talented tight end. Tied heap yep. back in the day, like he's like, oh, that like big physical body, you're running people over, but like you're not a speedster. Like Jalen, uh, I'm sorry, Justin Fields is so fast that Ryan Fitzpatrick gave that bad take. Like you know, Lamar Jackson has forced a lot of commentators that are like no football into bad takes. I think one time last a couple years back, uh, Lamar Jackson's MVP year, I think a commentator during the broadcast said because his skin is black and he's holding the ball that's brown, it's hard to see the ball, so you don't know if he's got the ball or not. And yes. Like, it was, oh, like, God, yes. yes. That that take, like, that's what this, that's what reminds me. I, I reminded of that when I heard Ryan Fitzpatrick try to criticize Justin Fields. Like, you're not a pocket passer. You're, you're, you're more of a Cam Newton. Do that. It's like, no, Ryan Fitzpatrick was so jealous to see how easily Justin Fields didn't look like he sweated or had a stern thought in his brain as he just skidded to the end zone. And I think that's what he was upset about because – as much as that Mooney play could have been completed, like he, he got the ball, he caught the ball, and, and it could have possibly, if he had secured it, it could have been a touchdown. It looks like Justin Fields could have walked in at any point in time to, to for a touchdown, and he didn't. Yeah, it, it, listen, Justin Fields, I think, would love to get to the point where he is protected well enough and comfortable enough to turn it loose down the field, be more of a pocket passer, do all of those things. Right now, you just worry with the Bears' structure around him and with his own performance so far. Again, plenty of blame to go around. I think that protection we knew was going to be an issue in the preseason. Justin Fields has also looked like he has not made the strides in some areas. He had a coaching change in between his first and second year, so that's certainly explainable. But now we're going to start to get into the category here as the season goes along, wondering if all of this does too much damage to Justin Fields to be salvageable in this first spot in his career. We see great talent wasted all the time when it's not in the right circumstance. Seems like it could be the case again, potentially, with the way things have worked out with the Chicago Bears. But Brandon, this is just one part of that. Like That was the fun part. Those games have become sort of like a drinking game for NFL fans (laughs) watching on Thursday night if you didn't want to pop over and watch West Virginia and uh, Baylor actually put up points. But it was the rest of the day for the NFL that was the really ugly part of this on a couple of fronts. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it was later last night. Um, We had, before we even get to the exhaustive report on Daniel Snyder that dropped yesterday and all the information available on that front, that we also had news surrounding Deshaun Watson. Another woman has filed a civil lawsuit against Watson uh, saying, alleging that the quarterback pressured her into oral sex during a massage session in December of 2020. It is now the 26th uh, known lawsuit filed against Watson, accusing him of inappropriate sexual misconduct or sexual assault during massages. And again, this was 
a different um, lawyer helping file these charges here, separate from the cases that we saw brought forth altogether there. And Brandon, I, I saw this drop and I immediately got worried and I'm not going to use Twitter too much to gauge what the response to this might be. Mm-hmm. We'll wait and see as the day goes along. But my worry was that because of the timing of this, this would not be viewed by a lot of people. And I think more of the casual fans, people that had followed along and noticed the Sean Watson case because of the sheer volume. In the tw- I mean, it was in the tens of cases before we could look up. We got to 25, 26 cases by the end of this, and people were appalled just at the sheer volume of it, maybe less so than the individual accusations or the picture that was being painted. Now, instead of it, I'm worried that instead of this being lumped in and it being as it was framed by Jake Trotter, the ESPN Browns reporter, as the 26th known civil suit filed against Deshaun Watson... I am very afraid that this one, because of the timing, will be viewed as one on an island that came later that people will accuse of having bad intentions as to why this was brought forth. And that's the difficult part about all of this is reconciling with it. So often, the victim blaming and the way that we treat women who come forward with these kind of allegations tends to be a deterrent to people coming forward and actually doing that. And with the Watson case, with the numbers that we had before, it was really hard for people to, and plenty still did, but it was hard for the majority of people to look at that and try and, you know, victim blame it away and do all the things they normally do. I'm worried we're going to watch those things creep back in very quickly here. And instead of this being treated like case 26, for a lot of people, they are going to treat it like case one. And that is a really troubling reminder of what we just saw and what happens when you have the NFL and the Cleveland Browns go out here and reward Deshaun Watson despite all of that because now people are also going to rightly look at the the way that so many of us are going to feel looking at this and I understand the feeling even if we need to keep up the heightened attention on this and how this is covered is for so many people they're going to look and say well the NFL had 25 cases before this and they suspended him for half the season, a little more than half the season, they're not going to do anything for one. The people who are football fans looking at this practically are going to go, this is not going to affect my outcome at all, so why should I care? And that is what happens. That's the reason that so many people were up in arms when you get $230 million guaranteed and you get a penalty that seems like it falls short on indicating how severe this is. But is it fair to say that because the NFL step aside, air quotes, and had a arbiter that these cases and the severity per case is really assigned to that one individual judge's way of thinking versus the NFL's way of thinking. Because I do think if this was seen, if this case was seen by anyone else, maybe not anyone else, but someone else, and and more cases could be could have been tried, and and the, the decision making for the the punishment that got laid down, but. The punishment wasn't because of the the 26 cases, right? It was because of the four to six. So, yeah, in the NFL's review of of this Deshaun Watson's allegations, there were four cases that were considered, yes. And you're right. It ultimately came down to first a ruling and decision-making by that arbiter, and then the NFL and Roger Goodell using the power that he had appointed to him by the CBA to come in and change that and increase that number to 11. But... It's still the NFL's process, and it is still 
in their house and under their umbrella. And it is still the decision by the Browns to go and offer him that contract, which sings as loud as anything in this situation True. as this continues to happen. Because it's not far-fetched to think that given the volume of cases we've already encountered, more would trickle in like this, that women who were affected in different ways, and Lord knows the kind of experiences alleged to have been suffered by the women involved in this are probably things that are difficult to process. All the things that come up normally in sexual assault cases, cases of sexual and physical violence. And it's not far-fetched to think more cases like this could trickle in as people get comfortable speaking up or people see other people that are trying to rebuild their lives after the way that this has affected them. And so it's... It's I'm something that I'm going to be very curious. And talking about the way things are covered and talked about is also the way that I think we've got to look at and frame what came out yesterday talked about Daniel Snyder. Mm. So we had the Washington football team playing in primetime on Thursday night, the day that a massive, exhaustive bit of reporting by the folks at ESPN gets done about Daniel Snyder and what's gone on inside that organization. Uh, so looking at... Uh, the reporting there, and I want to make sure I get everyone's name right in this because I know Seth, uh, Seth Wickersham and uh, Don Van Nata were a part of the reporting. There was a third reporter that I will find the name of and make sure to credit here before this is done. It's not readily available at the top of the ESPN.com article as it's listed, but um, Brandon, the report dropped yesterday on ESPN.com detailing the behind-the-scenes workings of Daniel Snyder, who the longtime owner of the Washington football team, Washington Commanders, who now appears to be backed into a corner by the notion that his team may actually be coming to the verge of being taken away from him in the wake of all of the allegations that came in a report done by Beth Wilkinson that came out detailing the toxic workplace culture for the Washington Commanders that we've heard. Toxic workplace culture for Washington Commanders has probably been the go-to word association based on that report, based on the way that this has all been looked at for quite some time. He is accused of enabling sexual misconduct. He is accused of committing sexual assault himself in a 2009 incident in his team pl- in his plane. Those are all things that we have known and have been out there about the Washington football team and has led so many people to speculate about his future with the team. We had this budding up with the John Gruden email situation that ended up costing John Gruden his job. The tentacles off of this, but as much as anything, the apparent way that the NFL and others seem to try and push this to the side, because remember, the Wilkinson report came out and then was never made publicly available. It was claimed that there was not some sort of hard copy they could release out of deference to the victims. All these things that stunk to high heaven and didn't sound like they could work. So the background of that is you've had Daniel Snyder who has all of these things that have been very publicly talked about. He was forced by the NFL to step away, forced by the NFL to pay a $10 million fine, and then instituted Jason Wright as the team president, Ron Rivera as the coach, and really tried to use them as the show that things are changing around here, the culture is better, all of these things popping up here. Now, in this report, we see reports that multiple league owners and team sources say they've been told Daniel Snyder has instructed his law firms to hire private investigators to look into dirt on other owners and Roger Goodell. According to league sources, they're aware 
that Snyder's claimed to be tracking owners. He claims that he has got enough information and secrets to, quote, blow up several owners, the league office, and even Goodell. That includes him supposedly having dirt on Jerry Jones, who's long for a long time been the guy that's kind of had his back in these discussions internally amongst NFL owners. And Brandon, it, it all the article paints it to sound like someone who is backed into a corner and ready to do the things that I think the NFL has always been afraid of. When we talked about the emails being leaked and why more of those emails weren't made available when they were pressed on it and why the Wilkinson report wasn't made available when pressed on it, we always defaulted to, well, there's probably 31 other owners who are a little worried about people looking around their house and finding a similar situation to the one that the Washington football team created behind closed doors there, created in their building there, and that being incentive enough for people to say, hey, this is going to be bad for all of us if people start poking around and trying to find things similar to this. And so this seems to be where the threat of force of the idea that Daniel Snyder would load up for a threat of force is, hey, I know where your guys' skeletons are, and if you keep pushing me the way that you are... I will prepare for war. This all comes from the fact that the other part of this reporting that was interesting involved the potential way that Snyder might be ousted. Because for all the outside world, all the people reporting, all of the fans of the Washington football team, the commanders that have wanted Daniel Snyder out for a number of reasons, including all of this heinous impropriety that's been going on behind these doors... It's always going to come down to money, and this article details a loophole that NFL owners might be able to use financially to oust Daniel Snyder if they wanted to, based on the amount of debt he's holding and all these you know financial tactics that stem back to the fact that he wasn't able to get a new stadium for the football team, FedEx Field is a dump, and right. he has not made the rest of the league as much money as they would like, reportedly. And while that seems disheartening, Brandon that for all the bad that this guy has been linked to once again because the other owners and this is pointed out the same case with Donald Sterling right yeah when you had the Clippers owner ousted it wasn't because people thought what he did was morally reprehensible or what he said was morally reprehensible it was the other NBA owners didn't like the guy and that usually is tied largely to financial reasons and this seems to be the same once again for all the stuff that we hear about how Daniel Snyder has chafed people behind closed doors. It might be true, but I don't imagine a lot of these guys are fun to but, deal with. It seems to come down to the fact that he is costing them money that they believe should be theirs. Yes, but uh, with Sterling, I believe his wife took him off the family trust, so the money get ran out. So with, yes, with and that no ended up money, being the loophole there. Right, yes. With no money, it's easier to uh, get pushed out. Mike, with all the terrible things that are in this report when it comes to uh, evidence that the NFL isn't prioritizing protecting women or cleaning up their image when it comes to that or cleaning up the image of a historic franchise like the R-word Washington football team commanders is the fact that the thing that cut through first was that Daniel Snyder wanted Carson Wentz and Ron Rivera didn't, which coming off the winds of that what's the difference between you and the rest of the NFC East comments from Ron Rivera? And it says quarterback. It just threw everyone into a frenzy, uh, Mike, speaking about specifically Carson Wentz, especially after this game. It just seems like yesterday was this, like, 
turning point, tipping point, especially for that franchise. And apparently, if that franchise is going down, so is a lot of other owners in the NFL. Yeah, well, and that's that's really what's at the bottom of this, right? Is Daniel Snyder is getting out here. And you're right, watching that play out. Ron Rivera very fired up at the podium. It's certainly not looking good that as this report comes out that claims that Daniel Snyder thought getting a new stadium or getting a quarterback would be the silver bullet. It would be the antidote to all of his problems that the other owners had with him, and it would get him to be able to keep his team in peace. Having that statement come out that Carson Wentz was a Daniel Snyder pick the day after those comments made by Ron Rivera certainly isn't a ringing endorsement. And again, Ron Rivera got up at the podium and got very loud and cursed and talked about how that's nonsense and how he did the scouting and all that stuff. But at some point where there's smoke, there's probably a bit of fire in this case. Ironically, he stormed off like Cam Newton after the Super Bowl. Yes, that one was a lot quieter after the Super Bowl, though. That Super Bowl press conference was very, very quiet overall before the storm off. But, uh, Brandon, like you said, it's now been framed as Daniel Snyder, who has been accused of and then, listen, found culpable enough for the NFL to make him walk away, turn over the day-to-day operations of the organization to his his, um, wife, Tanya Snyder. All of those things. So again, it's not like the NFL looked and said, this guy did nothing wrong. They're just only going to punish any of their owners so much. We saw the NBA try and do this with Rob Sarver before the players spoke up and spoke out. Something we've never really seen a lot of with Washington and the people inside that organization. Different sport, different dynamic. So, Brandon, you're right. A guy who seems to have his back against the wall who thinks that there may be financial leverage now for other people to remove him from ownership. It would take a three-quarters vote from NFL owners to oust an owner. That's why asking Roger Goodell to do anything here is silly and misguided because while he may have some charter power that people wanted to pull up, Roger Goodell works for those 32 owners. He is going to do only what they want to do when it comes to someone in this power status. And Brandon, I saw Mina Kimes say yesterday that that this is all a lot of information. And even me sitting here, I probably haven't done as good a job of making a synopsis of everything that's happened. Because it's a lot. Because dealing with Washington commanders and the impropriety surrounding the way that they've treated cheerleaders in-house, the workplace culture and the belittling that's gone on behind closed doors there, Daniel Snyder being accused of groping inside his plane and that sexual assault allegation from 2009, there's been so much for so long that it feels like a lot. And I saw Mina Kimes on NFL Live point out that we've got to keep the attention up on this because apathy in here is going to be a thing that allows this to keep going and keep perpetuating everything that's happened inside this organization. And the people that have had to suffer inside those walls deserve better than that. And for everyone that thinks that nothing would get done, I think the one thing that I took from this that did inspire a little bit of hope in that if there is attention kept on this and that if people are actually vocal enough about their displeasure with this, stuff can get done. Because for Daniel Snyder, again, Failed to secure a stadium anywhere in that you know DMV area that people always talk around around DC. It was Daniel Snyder who was almost able to secure and sounded like had a deal in place to secure land and the ability to make a stadium in Virginia. Had the state house and senate that had passed a bill, according to this report, the stadiumville only had to get through the conference committee to iron out some differences, but. 
after that February 3rd Congressional Roundtable in the U.S. Capitol, where five female former employees described the numerous allegations of sexual misconduct, both against the team's former senior executives and Snyder himself, all of a sudden these Virginia lawmakers started hearing from the people in their constituency. They had their inbox flooded talking about people who did not want to see taxpayer money go towards helping someone that was accused of all of these things. And wouldn't you know it, Snyder's bill died a very strange death not long after that. People spoke up and people put tension on this issue and they were heard. And they were heard in what NFL owners love language is the most important thing, money. And I thought that was an interesting reminder that with enough focused attention, things still can get done. And Lord knows around pro football, it can seem very hopeless at times. But the fact that this piece was even written, the fact that we're at this point where by these reports, it seems like the other owners around the league are starting to look and say, well, you're messing up the one thing that we care about. That comes from moments like that where people spoke up enough to be heard in the right places. They pushed the right pressure points and they were able to prevent this guy who seems reprehensible on a number of levels yeah. from getting the stadium that would have been the antidote. If Daniel Snyder gets a better stadium and gets one of these new places that's got the beautiful area around it, the shops, the hotels, all these big money makers, he's going to be fine. You know, him being by all accounts, what we view as a bad person doesn't really matter in the eyes of the other owners. They just see a number. But because of the focused pressure, now you have the potential for a result to finally come in this situation. And it's why what Mina said and what others will point out is important that continued attention and focus on this is going to be the only way through this. And it's what the people that have had to deal with and you know were involved in the things accused and the things going on in that side of that building deserve. Yeah, it seems like they're doing their version of trying to starve him out the best way they know how to, you know, not letting him have a Super Bowl in his city or town, not allowing him to have money for a new stadium. And they still expect his wife to take over, Mike. Like, they don't even expect the, it to be removed from the family. So uh, worst-case scenario for this terrible man – like who has receipts of being terrible, who doesn't want to be pushed out of this boys club that allows him to be terrible uh, in his own home, in his own workplace, is that he sells a team and becomes even richer. So Yeah, and we saw that same thing happen with Robert Sarver. And it, it feels like a poor consolation prize, but Brandon, for so many of these owners, especially by all accounts and reading through this, it seems like this is a man whose ego is very tied up in having this specific title. The right. reason so many of these owners get into sports is because it's a different cachet, even amongst the world of billionaires, to have this on your resume. Because we know sports has such a weird outsized importance, not just in this country, but in the world for so many people, that having your name, it's, it's a big ego thing. And yeah. for this guy, it seems to be a big ego thing. And he seems to relish in being the bad guy and enjoying being someone whose presence bothers other people and so if he gets off on that and that's part of the appeal for him and you take that away there is some solace in that there's some solace in just allowing people inside to feel like they can start over allowing for Jason Wright and these other people that were brought here to be culture changers to actually have a chance to impact that in a way that most of us and this is not to disrespect Jason Wright who 
we've got I've gotten to talk to in my old job at ESPN seems like a generally good person with good intentions who are excited to see in this position seems like they'd all be able to get more done if that guy is just gone because when you've got the source of the problem still near everything that's going on it's hard to ever feel like it's in a good situation and again all of this especially relevant because uh, there is another investigation uh, currently underway being done by Mary Jo Riley into all of this. And with that, there's the hope that this would be information that's much more transparent, that's much more public, and that's much more available to people than the Wilkinson report that never got out, that we never got to get our hands on and really look at outside of the limited parts that were selected and given to the public by you know by everyone involved in that. So... As that goes on, this feels like a long saga, but we're starting to kind of see the tremors and feel the tremors finally of a situation that may have a resolution at the level that we're all looking for. So it's something to keep an eye on as this report readies and and gets close to coming out. Basically, and and what you're saying is 100% right. Now, because we're, I'll say it like this. Daniel Snyder is saying that he has dirt on everyone because his Worst nightmares are coming true. It feels like he's getting closer to losing the grips on the thing he cares about most, which is this team, which is probably something he never thought was going to be the case. And now he's pulling out his versions of his big guns, which is uh, dirt on people. Which and I, 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 I could you uh, please quote? Oh the, yes, no, please. I, I did want to give this love, by the way. And again, I mentioned at the top giving credit to who it's deserved. It was Don Van Nana, Seth Wickersham, and Tisha Thompson who are the authors of this report on ESPN.com. It's long. It is worth your time. It really does the thorough job that is necessary around this subject of providing all the context that leads to the point Brandon's talking about, where this article is framed as there is two ways to read it. Either a league that is legitimately worried about the threat that he poses that threat being Daniel Snyder and the information he knows and the final acts of a desperate man, someone who is seeing himself lose what few allies he had and important ones like Derry Jones and now starting to make wild claims here. We see plenty of that going on in the world with some pretty uh, uh, dastardly figures right now. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned that portion of it is the fear of other owners that they would be dragging things out in the public that may not look so good. Ryan Nanny, who does an outstanding job as a part of the shutdown full cast tweeted, maybe the truest true that's ever been true about this entire situation yesterday. When he said, one thing I'm curious about, does Dan Snyder not get that he is proof that there's no such thing as dirt so bad. It would sink an NFL owner. Mm. And yeah, I, let let that one steep in your soul for the rest of the day that everything we have tried i had difficulty off the top of this subject trying to fully encapsulate all of the things that daniel snyder has been accused of and held responsible for to a limited extent already because there's that much of it that much of it that has yeah. been available to us and basically nothing has happened it has been that one year, go away from the team, pay a fine that's a small drop in the bucket to your net worth bit of shit that's gone on here for accusations of allowing sexual misconduct and being accused of sexual assault yourself. Do you know who's looking at this very closely and writing a script, possibly? I think Ryan Murphy. I think this is right up the American crime saga. Mike, this, like, this, this report reads 
like a true crime novel, like it, it, American Greed, if you will. Like it's it's that dastardly that I think it will be dramatized at some point in time, and 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 Dan Snyder will be make be made to be even more of a hated character because that's what he appears to be in real life. And I just I, yeah. it just feels like speaking of that it just feels like this is like fake. Like it's he's 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 but, like but, a, a but, like rich but that's rich the whole point, wrong. Brandon is it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be dramatized to be taken seriously and it shouldn't seem it, it's very real the people that have had to and what we heard about the workplace culture in there the way people were made to feel around daniel snyder and in that building all of it was real to a lot of people and remains real to a lot of people and that's why it needs to be treated top of mind as very real to everyone involved until there is the resolution that most of us believe should happen and that this man shouldn't be allowed to own that football team anymore so you don't you don't need drama to tell the story that these reporters did the job of that many others have done the job of that many victims who have gone forward and cooperated with these investigations have done the job of so that is uh that's what the nfl was dealing with and that's what people were dealing with on thursday very important work done great job by everyone in in the reporting there but brandon part of the reason that this also you know comes up and we have to deal with it in this way is because the NFL always gets to point to the product that is going on on the field and knowing that people will come back to it, knowing that people will continue to watch Thursday night football. That's why it takes such extraordinary measures to go through and actually rattle the cages enough to get stuff done. So it's why it's uncomfortable right now is we're about to transition to talking about an incredible slate of football this weekend and it's fun, and I think we're allowed to enjoy that to an extent, but it's always going to feel a bit conflicted. But that is kind of where we're at because this is an insane weekend. A college and pro coming up, Brandon, one of the best weekends of football I think we're going to have, at least on paper, all season long. It's the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness, getting ready to go in college basketball. And we got some of the best stars in the sport finally trying to close the deal. Zach Eady at Purdue trying to see if he can cap off an historic career with the championship. Much like his counterpart on the women's side and Caitlin Clark, who's been one of the biggest names in sports this entire year and is looking to see if she can snag that elusive championship that's eluded her during her career. Regardless of who makes it to that final game of the tourney, though, one thing's for certain. It's going to take the most talented people like the two I just mentioned working together to help these teams play at a high level. If you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. How do you find them? ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter uses matching technology to score excellent candidates for your job. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, 
and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a Game Time Mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings, and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery. It's DiGiorno. It's... And you look at the NFL where you're going to have two games in the late window this weekend that might be the best of the year in Chiefs, Bills, and then Eagles, Cowboys on primetime. And then in college football, you've got six ranked-on-ranked games. You've got 15 undefeated teams that waltz into this weekend with, I believe, at least three that are guaranteed to go down because you've got you know um, undefeated-on-undefeated matchups going into the weekend. It's an insane slate. And it shouldn't detract from the important things, but it's definitely going to be the thing that washes away and I think allows the NFL to keep tolerating the shitty Thursday night games that have been on its slate. Oh, yeah, Mike. I mean, they're coming out swinging. And the 1 o'clock window is like, it even has the weird teams you never see play each other but are actually good. It's going to be a great game like the Ravens-Giants game. Like, I know we're not breaking down all this game, but like uh, Ravens-Giants, uh, Bucks steelers Jets, Packers, like these are all very weird games that are in this one o'clock window that are interesting on paper. Very interesting. Now that the Jets and Giants have shown themselves to be a lot more, I mean, the Jets have shown themselves to be more confident. The Giants have shown themselves to be really good. Yeah. The Giants, especially defensively run game wise, are all things that are going to be interesting going up against this Baltimore Ravens defense that's had differing issues that seems to plug one hole as another pops up. Got right in the pass defense against the Bengals last week. So you're right. Very interesting games. But we're all just sitting there salivating. And the way that the t- windows even line up, Brandon, because you've got that Kansas City game that's in the 4 o'clock window, but the other two games are 4 o'clock Eastern kickoffs. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs game's the 425 kickoff game. So we'll have the ending of that game all alone by itself if things go well, leading into the Sunday night football game that's a division game in one of, you know, a division where we've seen barbs traded already this week by Jason Peters coming out and having comments about Philadelphia fans in a team in a city he used to call home. Jason Kelsey coming out and waxing poetic about the virtue and the great things about Philadelphia fans relative to Dallas Cowboy fans. All of that going into one of the most historic rivalries in the NFL on Sunday Night Football. It's as good a back-to-back set of games as we will see this season. And well, and for all those all those games that don't matter, this is like last Sunday Night game uh, with the Ravens and the Bengals. Like in division matters, big picture moving forward in the division. Yeah, and and in a division right now that might be the best in football. So, Brandon, looking at the Kansas City matchup. The Bills are two-and-a-half-point favorites in this game, um, which only really interesting because this is a Chiefs home game, and there have been very rare exceptions uh, where you've seen Patrick Mahomes as a home underdog. But Buffalo's that kind of good, and I think looking at this matchup, Brandon, um, you wonder if this is where the dam finally breaks for a Kansas City team that we've talked about all season long in big moments, and this last weekend was no exception. While the offense is still incredible to watch in a different way, they don't have the field bender anymore. And that's exactly what Buffalo has in Stephon Diggs uh, and Stephon Diggs and what he's been able to do in that passing offense. It is can the Chiefs defense, one, hold up against that, but two, is that 
finally going to be as these two teams have always looked very similar as I think Josh Allen and the Bills have tried to build themselves like the Kansas City Chiefs team that won the Super Bowl are we going to see the difference on field really and what the Chiefs lost is that finally going to show up in a way that it really hasn't result wise so far well I would say this Mike we did talk about you just mentioned Stefan Diggs but who was taking up the shine last week Gabe Davis like Gabriel Davis for the Bills like it proves it's almost like what the Chiefs were last year with Tariq Hill. Like, they have two people that can take it over the top. Like, I'm very interested in seeing how these defenses respond to each other because Von Miller is the type of guy that doesn't really get sacks on Patrick Mahomes, but he makes Patrick Mahomes throw bad balls, if that happens. Yeah, well, and that's what he was brought there to do. I mean, really, bringing Von Miller over was about addressing what happened last year in the playoffs between the Bills and the Chiefs. This right, is yeah. the first chance. This is in school. You used to have the report card that comes out at the end of the year, but when we, you know, we were in middle school, high school age, you had progress reports that would come out halfway through. Yes, sir. This is the real progress report for the Buffalo Bills, and I think Kansas City to a certain extent. Because interestingly enough, Kansas City last year, what was the book on them, right? Everyone was dropping back, playing deep on them. Mm -hmm. You had two high safeties, everyone trying to take away the big plays. Last year, according to NFL research, Patrick Mahomes was blitzed at the lowest rate in the next-gen stats era. He was only blitzed on 12% of plays last season. Fast forward to this year so far, he's been blitzed at the highest rate for him since he became a full-time starter. Wow. Buffalo's not going to do that. Buffalo gets home with four. That's their whole MO. It's, again, the reason they brought over Von Miller especially to sure up a four-man pass rush that was going to be able to go and get the job done. So can the Chiefs, who have demonstrated an ability to go and win a bunch of different ways and to win being patient underneath and to win not being able to just go in and pop off big plays all the time, can they revert back to some of that and get it done that same way against a Buffalo defense that we know got banged up early on in the season, isn't as whole as it was to start, but has still been one of the best at sending four or a few at a quarterback and getting the job done. Mike, I'm very excited uh, for this game. This is equivalent to that Tom Brady back uh, in with the Patriots game, like that last season, that middle of the season type of hype, I think it was week four. Like it's weird to have this big of a game uh, this early on in the season. Like you said, all the entire slate is great. But this one, Mike, this one was, this was the, this is what made us miss the NFL last year. Or like, this was like one of the great last games in history, but in our memories as well. Oh, this this game in the playoffs last year required an after sex cigarette. It was it was a rough. It's the game. It's the game that ended up changing the overtime rules. We all raised yes. such a stink about the fact that they were not allowed to answer in this volley, and that the Bills were not allowed to get one last chance with Josh Allen's uh, hands on the football. Mm-hmm. It changed a rule. It was that good and that important of a game. It, it's interesting to think about Brandon looking at this matchup, and I've seen this question that's of course going to get asked in this game: who the better quarterback in this game actually is. Like who do you when you look at Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, which quarterback would you rather have in this game? I am stubborn, so I think I have to go with Patrick Mahomes. I think everything tells me um, Josh Allen, but I still remember Patrick Mahomes like resembling Jesus on the football field. And I and I and now that he's still doing that that same type of water into wine type of stuff, 
and then we actually got have some other weapons for him to work with, like that that rookie uh, Pan Panchero. Like I I think he's going to be in the secondary quite a bit running the ball against the Bills, Mike. Like I I, I but you I'm taking away from the quarterback. Josh Allen was beat up a little bit recently. I think he he can turn it on whenever he wants to. He's this huge body. I think he he's he may be the best quarterback in the NFL period. But I still like Patrick Mahomes when it comes to the game being played. Like I, I, I there's always the extra twinge of him being a gamer. That obviously Josh Allen is, but he hasn't he doesn't have that Super Bowl ring that we've seen Patrick Mahomes win. Josh Allen is wild to say, I think has more of like, we thought Patrick Mahomes was going to be the most talented quarterback ever. Right. You know, had taken the Aaron Rodgers model and improved on Brady it. Josh Chaser. Allen's Josh Allen's more physically talented than Patrick Mahomes across the board. Howitzer for an arm. I think yeah. he's the leading rusher for the bills at this point too. He's been used in that yeah. way more than we expected earlier in the season. But I'm with you. I still have so much Patrick Mahomes postseason capital stuck in my craw that I still, even after the Super Bowl, that really was, you know, the Super Bowl loss against the Bucks was where I found the limits of Patrick Mahomes can just go and out Mahomes everyone. His whole right. offensive line's essentially gone, and he's getting his ass whooped back there. Yeah. And I would still probably take this guy, even understanding that Josh Allen right now rightly a guy that's probably going to be in the front of the line for the MVP this season. It's just right. a really hard thing to reconcile. And then, uh, Brandon, we got Dallas Philly in the Sunday night football game. Now, so much of this is around the quarterback, but even so, Philly being six-and-a-half-point favorites in this game feels like a big number considering the job this Dallas Cowboys defense has done. Dak Prescott was back as a limited participant in practice on Thursday for the first time since fracturing his thumb week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had just been throwing on the field earlier in the week, hadn't actually been a participant, but still seems like Cooper Rush is going to be the guy under center this weekend. But Brandon, this Eagles team that has been so complete on both sides of the ball, that we saw get a little bit beat up in the trenches last week, but no one had to miss time. Jordan Mailata back on the practice field for them. Jason Kelsey and Landon Dickerson both ended up leaving the field, but coming back to that game here. Philadelphia absolutely should win this game, and I believe will win this game. But saying they're going to do it by more than a touchdown when you've had... They may not be the best defense in the NFL, but they're the defense that would scare me the most as an offensive player. And especially as an offensive line. The Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Okay. I, I hear you, Mike, but I, I feel like the Philadelphia Eagles are literally like if you were the ranked the defenses in the NFL, I wherever you have the Cowboys, I guarantee you the Eagles are right below them. Oh, listen, Brandon, the Eagles definitely don't like get one their, spot. Yeah. It's because the Eagles have been such a complete team that we do not rate the Eagles defense as much in the conversations when we talk about, you know, the San Francisco 49ers, the Buffalo Bills, who have rightly been talked about as the best defense in the NFL early in this season. Others right. involved in that. The Eagles absolutely deserve more of that. The problem for them is their whole team's been so good. They've had so much good for us to focus on, whereas the Cowboys, it's been very siloed down. It's, hey, this offense does not have Dak Prescott. This offense is not super efficient in a ton of areas. It's just good and even enough across the board to be able to draft off a defense led by Micah Parsons that is such a weapon. And I think that's why, Brandon, I look at this and still say six and a half is too many points. It's going to be great on great. The Eagles offensive line might be the best in the NFL. And this Cowboys defensive front is 
second in sacks in the NFL right now, is first yeah. in ESPN's pass rush, pass rush win rate metric. I still can't say that thing fast. <laughs> They're great at getting after it, so it's going to be awesome to watch that because Micah Parsons is such a unique threat, and all of those guys, like Lane Johnson's as good an athlete in the NFL and offensive tackle as you're going to find. Watching him one-on-one with Micah Parsons will be a fantastic show. I'd imagine if Jordan Mailata, the Eagles' left tackle, is not able to go, we see him line up over that side a lot more and try to make sure that they're going to test the backups that are in the lineup. Even if they're guys that have played, you're stepping down from what you've had as the starter. So that would be important to watch. But they move him around everywhere, Brandon, and that's part of the unique challenge of this is every play you've got to have that plan. The Eagles have an awesome antidote for that in the fact that not only are you an incredible rushing team, you're an incredible rushing team that has a quarterback that's an incredible rusher in Jalen Hurts. And you know this as a former D lineman. What's a great way to take the edge off a lot of pressure and a lot of people wanting a blitz is running right at it and running right through it. And when you've mm-hmm. got a quarterback as powerful as Jalen Hurts, that prospect becomes a lot easier. Yeah, I agree. But I'm thinking about the two running backs for the Cowboys – and I like that defensive line a lot for the Eagles. And I think I especially like Jordan Davis in the sense of like, you know, you know how those running backs, especially Tony Pollard, like it's find the hole and just plant foot, get upfield. I think there's going to be a little bit more congestion is usually where Ezekiel Elliott eats. But I, I just, those bodies up front are, are big and athletic, Mike, and you don't get a lot of big and athletic in the NFL when it comes to everyone, all four people in their hands in the ground. One of my favorite throwbacks, it feels nostalgic at this point because both of these guys have been around for so long. Zach Barton versus Fletcher Cox in that division has yes. been a show for so yes. long. It yes, is yes, yes. one oh of the best. And, and both guys, I, I, in the last couple of years, Fletcher Cox this year especially, because he's dealt with injuries so much recently, turned back the clock, the clock year for Fletcher. Yeah. And for Zach, it's been the last two years. He dealt with injury a little bit a couple years ago but has been back to being the best guard in pro football for the last two seasons. Every, every Thanksgiving that they play, you can guarantee there's a segment on the ISO cam of just Fletcher Cox and, and Zach Martin, you know, the last series the entire time. So I, I'm expecting a lot of that. That's why this game is so good, Mike. That's why all these games are so good. Like, I, I'm very, I'll be very surprised if any of these have that, that Thursday night stink on a Sunday that you can see from some games because, like, the, the – the, the players are just – the playmakers just know their job – do their jobs too well for it to actually fall short, in my opinion. Brandon, speaking of playmakers, the last game that really looking at – because, again, we talked about the, the college window here. So, that's those are the NFL highlights. I mean, those two yeah. games by far. In college, you've got six ranked ranked games. Number 10, Penn State uh, versus number 5, Michigan. Number 8, Oklahoma State versus number 13, TCU. That's the game I'll be calling for Learfield this weekend. Down in Fort Worth. Very excited. Two undefeateds in the Big 12. Uh, Number 15, NC State on the road at number 18, Syracuse. 16, Mississippi State against 22, Kentucky. 7, USC versus 20, Utah, which is a huge measuring stick game for USC. Like This should be one that a lot of people circle. USC's played so many late-night games and so many games that I don't think people have noticed. You had the one on the Pac-12 network against Oregon State that no one saw. Check this one out because Utah is a tough out up front. I know they've lost a couple games and are out of contention now for the college football playoff, but 
they're the interesting total counter fighting style to USC in a way that people should look at. But Brandon, the crown jewel of the weekend, number three, Alabama, number six, Tennessee. Bama, according to DraftKings, a seven and a half point favorite in this game. College game day is going to be down there. This one, Brandon, is all about if Bryce Young plays or not. And we've still heard, you know, cryptic answers. He's been practicing. They've had him on a pitch count. Sustained that shoulder injury a couple of games ago. Didn't go against Texas A&M most recently. And it was a very close game against the Aggies because of that. They only won by four points. This one, if Bryce Young's not on the field, Tennessee can absolutely win this game, right? What Josh Heupel's done there, Hendon Hooker, clean on the season, no interceptions. Mm -hmm. We saw them dismantle LSU. But if Bryce Young is on the field for them, Alabama is going to win this game. Alabama is one of the few teams that is structured defensively in a way that can counteract what these spread, like Josh Heupel's version of the spread no huddle offense that goes at hyperspeed that we saw at UCF, that we certainly saw play out at other spots along the way. His version of this offense requires the full 53 and the third. And it requires you to make a decision as a defense. Are we going to load up on those outside receivers and then let them potentially have a go in the box? Where plenty of these teams, Lane Kiffin's Old Miss, all of them, the ones that spread it out, love to have the chance to gut you up the middle and gut the, and gut you using the run game. And Tennessee's got a capable offensive line. They've got Hendon Hooker, who's a live dog with his feet. They've got great running back room. You've got to make that decision about where to allocate resources as a defense because all Tennessee wants to do is throw those little wide receiver smokes right at the line of scrimmage, get yeah. you baited up with that, and then throw those deep shots like we saw against LSU. Hendon Hooker throws a wonderful deep ball. It's part of the reason that when he took over as a starter, this offense unlocked because you've got to have a quarterback that's really capable of hitting what would normally be for a lot of people very low percentage throws. But that offense is a math problem. It's what we saw at Missouri with Drew Locke. It's why he struggled a little bit in the NFL, because it's doing box math and then getting the ball out appropriately. Alabama is built to go out there and stop you with very few people in the box. That's the big difference for them. Alabama hits the quarterback on almost 40% of their plays. They knock you off their perch. They are 7th in yards per rush allowed versus 5 or 6 man with 5 or 6 guys in the box. So they can put Will Anderson and the rest of that defense in a spot where it's R5 against their 5. There is no numbers advantage. And so by that math, they're going to try and hand it off in the box in some cases. They're, cap they're as capable of handling that load on the defense as maybe two or three other teams in college football are. There aren't many people, but every time we see these offenses run up against an Alabama or a Georgia, the math changes because you've got depth of five-star talent in the middle of the defense that can handle the box and allow them to go out and put all those resources to just making sure you're not hitting the big plays. Like with Tennessee in that game against LSU, it was their ability to capitalize and make big plays. That's always what that offense is built on. It's kind of what we talk about with the Chiefs. So I think Tennessee can win that if Bryce Young's not out there. Jalen Milrose, super talented, is a great rusher, but is still a guy that's you know a backup quarterback and the offense functions that way. But with as good as Jameer Gibbs has been and with what Bryce Young is able to do in clutch moments, if he's on that field, Alabama's winning that game. Well, because of that, I want to see Bryce Young on that field. And I desperately want to see Tennessee win this game. Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me. Uh, good old Rocky Top who, Rocky Top Tennessee. Um, because I want to see the good on good. And I think Hendon Hooker can handle that situation. But the reason why I do think that Alabama will win this game is because they've been here before 
and it isn't this ooh big guy look re respect us now we've been in the sec this entire time will you finally respect us it's it's not it's not preparation for the next game for Tennessee, it's prep preparation for Alabama, and for Alabama, it's preparation for the next game. So I, I do think that uh, that crowd will unfortunately get silenced eventually and slow down and get the ebbs and flows of the game. But I'm really hoping for a, a competitive game with uh, both of the best quarterbacks in college football. Yep, and, and, and like you said, should be pointed out, this is a home game for Tennessee. Nealon is going to be an absolute zoo. Alabama got down early in this game last year and was able to work their way back into this. So it's a very different Alabama team now. We know, I mentioned, Jameer Gibbs, their running back, is their leading receiver. This has not been an Alabama team that's been bombs away down the field in the same ways that we've seen. They're starting to get a little bit healthier in that room. They spread the ball around a lot, but it's still a very different attack. So getting down early like that, especially with that crowd, ain't going to be the recipe for it. And even if Bryce Young's playing, you're going to have to monitor that shoulder because he is coming back off of an injury and because this Tennessee defense is a great complement to their offense the way they've played. They've also been really, really productive in a ton of stats. If you are ranking the SEC, is this one versus three? Yes, it'd be, yeah, okay. Alabama, Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee. And listen, it, depending on this game, Tennessee's closing the gap. Like, Georgia in recent weeks has opened up the possibility that, all right, maybe that offense isn't going to be as devastating down in and down out as we thought coming off the Oregon game and early on in this season. That's why we've seen some shuffling up top, some people in power rankings having Ohio State jumping both Alabama and Georgia. For Alabama, I think that has a lot more to do with the quarterback missing. For Georgia, we're just looking around and seeing maybe a little bit of remnants of that college football playoff hangover. So, Brandon... The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. That means as we lurch towards March Madness, you can try and figure out who's going to win this whole thing. On the men's side, teams like UConn, Houston, and Purdue. On the women's side, South Carolina, Stanford, the Lady Irish and Notre Dame, or maybe Caitlin Clark's Iowa Hawkeyes finally get over the hump. Make the decision for yourself and head over and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code GOJO when you do. New customers can bet 5 bucks and get $150 instantly in bonus bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code GOJO, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All of this a good segue into the end of the show for us, our six thick picks and the Brandon Newman spooky Locktober underdog play of the week. So I'll get my comparatively lesser important picks out of the way so that we can get to the lock here. Uh, again, 12-22-2 and two on the season, too many twos and too low a number on the six thick picks. Three college, three NFL going into the weekend to try and get you right. Um, Brandon, college football. Uh, Michigan-Penn State, one of the games we mentioned, I like the Michigan money line in that game. I think it's going to be pretty incredible, hostile environment. I think Michigan 
ultimately the better team in this matchup, really consistent on both sides of the ball as they start to get in the meat of their Big Ten schedule. J.J. McCarthy's looked really good so far, and I think the conversation around them and Clemson becomes interesting because I think Michigan's actually a more dynamic offense than the one we've seen from Clemson so far this season. But on the road against Penn State, I like the Michigan money line. Kansas plus nine against Oklahoma. I can't believe Oklahoma, with the current state of their defense, is getting this much respect still. Kansas, yes, lost their starting quarterback in Jalen Daniels during the game last week, although we saw Lance Leipold, I think, doing a little bit of smoking out of the rat. There was reports that came out that Jalen Daniels was going to be done for the season, yes. and then Lance Leipold posts a picture from his office of Jalen Daniels, who was supposed to have a shoulder injury with both arms above his head in like the victory sign, but clearly sending a message as you wonder if Lance Leipold is starting to try and vet some leaks that he potentially might have seen around that program. Very interesting to watch that play out, but mm-hmm. Jason Bean, their backup quarterback, who was a starter last year and a transfer from North Texas came in, and flat out ball. That is an offense that structurally has a quarterback that still does a lot of the same things going up against an Oklahoma defense that has not been able to stop much of anything lately, especially not teams that have a capable running quarterback. So Kansas plus nine in this one. I mean, Kansas could and should win this game outright, but nine points are there. I'm going to take the nine points and feel a lot safer about that just on the off chance Oklahoma does figure out some things. It's not likely, but... Kansas plus nine, and then Clemson minus three and a half at Florida State. Florida State, I had the NC State game with them last week. Wheels kind of came off in the second half against them. Clemson, while I said, may not be as dynamic as I think Michigan is on offense right now, they've become remarkably consistent on both sides of the ball. It's a testament to Dabo Sweeney. Very good coaching at the top. Clemson minus three and a half at Florida State. Uh, NFL Brandon Jags plus two at Colts. They blew them out the first time. People are thinking to overstate the demise of the Jags and the way they've come down to, back down to earth the last two games. Colts still not very good at football. Uh, Ravens Giants that we mentioned. I like the under forty five in that game. Okay. Giants want to do this, cook this thing low and slow with the ground game and defense. Um, you know, the Ravens last game a lot more Lamar Jackson rushing attempts than we had been used to and seeing. He was much more a part of that. So. I like the under in that one. And then Cowboys plus six and a half at Philly. I said in the nightcap, that's too many points for me against the defense like like the Cowboys. Uh, so I like, I'll like i take them as almost a touchdown underdog in that game. Uh, now, with all that out of the way, Brandon, uh, time for the Brandon Newman spooky Locktober underdog play of the weekend. Uh, what do we got, Brandon? <laughs> The Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons host Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan is proving himself to be more of a fraud. They're depleted on offense and defense, that 49ers team, Mike. Falcons plus five. Take the points. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Atlanta is a lock. They've been knocking right. at the door, Mike. They've been knocking at the door. They've been they've been uh obviously with the Bucks and that roughing the passer penalty. I feel like the Falcons, like you said last week, and I'm glad you said it, the the Falcons are what we think what we wanted the Lions to be. 
in the sense of being a competitive football team. And I, uh, I feel like the 49ers, as competitive as they are, and as, as uh, on a little streak as they're on right now, they often take naps around this time in the season, regardless of how good or bad they are. Obviously, I said uh, Jimmy Ward's uh, injured. Uh, their kicker is injured. Joey Bosa's not going to be with Nick, them. Nick, Bo Nick Bosa, yeah, dealing, oh, with, uh, yes, Nick, dealing, Nick Bosa. dealing with a groin injury that doesn't yes. seem like it's going to sideline him for long, but may sideline him for this game, which is yes. a very important note for a Falcons offense that's been fun as shit to watch and super creative. Marcus Mariota hasn't needed gaudy stats to go out because Arthur Smith's done a really good job calling creative games. Yes, and this is just one of those ones that you've seen Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta scratching his head like, what the hell happened, uh, I feel like, more recently than not. And I think this is going to be another one. It's going to be a, a underdog lock I'm telling you Atlanta Falcons take the points. I'm going to stay away from that money line because if Vegas gives you the points, you got to take the points. So just take the points. Just take the points. That's right. Listen, that's why it's the underdog lock of the week. So go out there. Make yourself some money with our guy Brandon Newman. Going to climb out of that 0-1 hole. Going to get back to 500. Good things ahead for the spooky October play of the week. But Brandon, uh, good things ahead for everyone's weekend here. Let's get everyone out on a positive note and ask one final time this week. Brandon, do you know what time it is? I do, but damn. I know, I normally have a longer build-up to that. There's a huge preamble here, but we've already been talking too long, and I feel like I want to get people out of here. Let's do it. Let's this, that, and the third. Let's this, that, and the third. It's just a jump to the left. Then a step to the right. Put your hands on your hips. And bring your knees in tight. This is the pelvic thrust. They're really trying insane. Let's do Rocky Horror Picture Show, Brandon. Yes. A man of varied talents and backgrounds. Really well done. Your vocal range continues to impress, man. As I scream and squeal in my garage. Thank you so much. 1997 or 1973 Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, the flagship of that uh, of that uh, story, Mike, of that musical. Uh, those, that couple comes in, they don't know what's going on. They hear the song, still don't know what's going on. You watch the rest of the movie, still don't know what's going on. Tale as old as time, song as old yeah. as rhyme. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, Brandon, let's get, as always, download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Five-star rating, review. Tell Brandon how much you love what he's doing with this, that, and third. At Gojo Show on Twitter, if you've got more spooky suggestions, again, for the month of October, Brandon wants a spooky theme for all of the this, that, and the third intros that he is tasked with singing because we didn't feel like spending money on imaging to introduce this bit. We're at, like, the, the autumnal equinox of sports right now. Had the NHL yes. get started. Major League Baseball's in the postseason. Tough one for the Mariners. You've got all that going on. NBA preseason, NFL, college football. you got a lot of choices. And you might not always be able to plan out ahead. It's one of the hardest things for me is to plan out too far ahead. Got a lot of busy time during the season. We all got lives. We all got jobs. Our friends over at Game Time are here to help out with that cause here. Game Time supporting this podcast. Support them. 
as they support us. And they're helping you out. They're giving you a great product here because with all the crowds, with all the busy schedules here, you want something that's going to provide you ease of use, easy access at an effective price. And that's what Game Time does. It's an easy to use interface. It gives you a list of what's going on in your area. And that can be events from sporting events to concerts, what's coming up in the week and what's available that night. And it gives you those options and allows you to get at them at a very, very low price here. Like we said, you got plenty of options right now. And to be able to do this for less than $400, $500 a ticket, I mean, we're talking under $100 for some tickets. We mentioned the Harry Styles stuff the other day. I could have gone and seen Harry Styles in the United Center in Chicago for 166 bucks the day of. That's insane. I would have gotten got anywhere else. And the best part is you can see your view what your seat's going to look like right in the app. Checkout takes less than 30 seconds. It's a super easy process, and it's one that I think is really going to help you out. So download the Game Time app, create an account, redeem code GOJO for $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's code GOJO, $20 off on your first purchase. Terms apply, download Game Time, last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Brandon, <laughs> let's get to this. Um this is not going so well. We talked with Katie Nolan yesterday about all of our shared desire for the Seattle Mariners to do good things. And right yeah. now they find themselves in a two-old two hole in the ALDS against none other than the Houston Astros. And part of that due to the heroics of Jordan Alvarez, who this stat popped yesterday. Jeff Passan tweeted out, courtesy of ESPN Stats and Info, that before yesterday, nobody in baseball history had hit more than one go-ahead homer while trailing in the sixth inning or later of a postseason game. Now, Jordan Alvarez has done it twice in two games. Simply put, one of the best hitters on the planet. And simply put, this Houston Astros team, no matter how much we wanted them to go away and die when they were at the center of all that scandal in Major League Baseball, no matter how much baseball fans wanted to hate them, they have come back with a vengeance and just beat the ever-loving shit out of baseballs. And it seems to be undoing one of the better stories of the season in the Mariners right now. They Since they've been... Since the Houston Astros like became a force and actually good, they've reminded me a lot of the Patriots, which I haven't liked. And uh, cheating aside, like just like their arrogance. It's like, damn, they still y'all still here? Yeah, you're still you just why won't you die? They continue to find ways to reinvent right. themselves even without banging on trash cans. So, fingers crossed <laughs> for Seattle going to the weekend. I don't want to see Mariners fans go out this bad after a 21 year yeah. postseason drought. Let's try and rally the troops, Brandon. Baby and steps, uh, baby steps, baby steps. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that. Um, News out of the world of animation, and depending on where you have gone for this news, it's a little bit different. There were a lot of reports yesterday, I think, really overstating the death of Cartoon Network Studios, Brandon. It's a a strong pivot because the thing is going away, Mike. Like, the name is going... When a name goes away, that's a big deal. Well, even so, not necessarily that. So... Warner Brothers Television Group is unfortunately laying off staffers. They had they laid off 82 staffers. They're not filling another 43 jobs. And so there's about 125 jobs that are not going to be filled for Warner Brothers TV Group. There's been a lot of mergers on that front. They have merged with HBO and HBO Max. HBO Max is going to merge with Discovery Plus, And there were layoffs on that front. And now we have seen Warner Brothers Discovery merging um, as well on the animation side of things, they will continue to oversee uh, Cartoon Network Studios and Hanna-Barbera Studios, but the production teams and development teams for Warner Brothers and Cartoon Network are going to merge now. 
it still maintains that they will all be pumping out content as separate identities. It's just going to be the resources behind are a little more shared. So a lot of people are talking about Rest in Peace Cartoon Network yesterday as a brand. All those, I'm not ready to call the fight necessarily like that. But Brandon, not really important. Cartoon Network may still be around, may still be producing those same things depending on what you read. I think the Variety Report is probably a little more accurate. But it gave us a good chance to go back and recap some of the best Cartoon Network shows ever concocted here. And I think it says a lot about mostly when you stopped watching Cartoon Network consistently. Because for me, the cutoff point was a lot earlier than most, Brandon. Like, looking at the... I don't know. Breaking it down into three categories. Because I think there are kind of three categories of Cartoon Network. There is the normal Cartoon Network shows that we saw. There is Adult Swim. And then there is the Toonami Cartoon Network uh, franchise that was largely like the Japanese anime come over to the U.S.? Well, I was going to ask you how you broke it down, like how you got to that breakdown, but it's as simple as this. There's Cartoon Network during the day, then there's Adult Swim at night, and then every Saturday night starting at midnight until the wee hours of 5.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, you get some sweet-ass anime shows. I, I mean, Brandon Toonami was solely responsible for my gateway into anime that people have heard me talk about on this podcast and others. Yeah. Like the 1998 slate, it was Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon that popped off there. The Sailor Moon theme song still goes hard as hell, still lives in my head rent free. I, I, at any given point, any given day, you can. Oh, wait a minute. Let me find it. Oh, <laughs> she is the one named Sailor Moon. Oh, she is the one. She is the one called Sailor Moon. That one. Yeah, no? she will never turn her back on her friends. She yes. is always there to defend. Yeah, all that stuff. Awesome. Yes, 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 Great yes, Rick yes. and Morty reference to Taylor Moon in the last episode. All things that are good. But you had that Dragon Ball Z, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, like all these things that were Cowboy foundational. Bebop. Yes, all these things that were foundational to my like anime there. The normal stuff, Powerpuff Girls, Ed, Ed, Nettie, Courage the Cowardly Dog. And yeah. then you had you know Family Guy, Futurama, King of the Hill, and Adult Swim. Some legitimately iconic series that have come from this one animation studio and its various you know slottings for shows. Yeah. I mean, it's all been really, really important, Mike. And uh, I was talking about listing our top how, how much ever, but... I kind of did a top three of each of each category. Should, should we? What do you got? All right. So, uh, Cartoon Network. I admittedly watched Cartoon Network a little bit longer than you did, Mike. I ca- I kind of was was peeking in, seeing things. Younger siblings and stuff. I, I use that as an excuse to to get wrapped into that stuff. But I'll start with the OG. Dexter's Laboratory is number one for me uh, from Cartoon Network. Okay, that's oh, yeah. the, the number one. Okay, yes, okay. And then Cow and Chicken. Which uh, also, which is very, very weird. I don't know if you remember Cow and Chicken. It gave us uh, I Am Squirrel and I R Weasel. Like, you, there's some cartoons had the little break off cartoon stuff. So that was always interesting. Uh, but loved how weird Cow and Chicken was. It was like the safe Ren and Stimpy. Um, and then Adventure Time, Mike, is the more recent one that I love from Pendleton Ward. Uh, if you watched uh, Midnight Gospel on, on Netflix, same uh, animator, same creator, Pendleton Ward. Uh, the, the great thing about Adventure Time, it's set in a post-apocalyptic world for animation. And he said he wrote this series so that people can watch it at 7 and enjoy it, and then watch it at 27 and enjoy it for a whole, whole new reason. So love that. Uh, Toonami. Obviously, Dragon Ball Z is on my list at, at number one. Then you got Samurai Jack, which was badass. And then Reboot. I don't know if you remember that one, Mike. It was like a 
it was a very it was it was a CGI before CGI blue people dreadlocks reboot. It was a great show. Um, and then coming in Adult Swim, Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job, very weird comedy. Gave us a Steve Rule, Doctor Steve Rule, and a bunch of other uh, weird stuff. Uh, Zach Galifianakis often with with Tim and Eric. Uh, Space Ghost from Coast to Coast took over late night show as a, as a as a, a late night sh- show host uh, was getting us through uh, things with weird interviews, and then my favorite show ever, Mike, started on Adult Swim, Boondocks from Aaron Magruder. Like it, it means it meant so much to me, and I was wondering why this was like such big news to me is because literally like the show that moved me most creatively, made me laugh, made me feel seen was a show that was an Adult Swim show. Boondocks. It is amazing to think about because as I think ubiquitous as the boondocks has become and, you know, pop culture in general, and a lot of that is, you know, clips and gifts at this point, the currency of the internet where the boondocks is so giving and for a long time, just a show that was immensely popular. I had never realized it was an adult swim show. I did not know that that was the place of origin for that, but you're right. Like this is a hundred percent the shows that hit us in the formative years like that. And I mentioned like that was Toonami for me. Like my gut reaction to this was, oh, I remember watching Toonami, even if it wasn't late night when it would replay during the week. And it was me experiencing this new form of content that at that point as a, you know, little white kid growing up in suburban Connecticut hadn't necessarily been like top of mind for me, but that's a great point. The boondocks, I did not, was not aware that was an adult swim show. Obviously had seen and was aware of it, but really interesting. Hopefully, this is not the end of Cartoon Network Studios because, again, a lot of creative people over there have given a lot of gifts like this to the world. Um, Brandon, let's get to the third. Uh, So the fine folks over at The Athletic uh, put out the pulse, uh, you know, quick hits, uh, looks at some things, interesting ideas going into the weekend. And one of their polls over there this week was a $28 fast food challenge. Um, There was a question that was posed at Wednesday, a Fox business contributor said on air that he had Taco Bell for lunch that week and whined that he had to pay $28. Even Taco Bell jumped in pointing out that that's a ludicrous claim given the pricing of their menu. And so the staff over there started to have the conversation about, could you eat $28 worth of fast food in one sitting with these rules? Your order cannot include delivery fees. It has to be a fast food restaurant with a drive-through, no fast casuals. You can't order from, you know, Chipotle or Five Guys or Sweet Green or something like that that doesn't have a drive-through here. Brandon, you're making a stank face already. Is this a face of disgust at the notion that you couldn't put down $28 worth of fast food or a respect for how much that actually is? Uh, I'm just kind of perplexed altogether, Mike, because that's like a normal... That's like $4 over what my normal Taco Bell order is for myself. So I'm 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 confused at what the what the issue is here or what the confusion is here because I think that that well, is is that your Taco Bell order being DoorDash to your house? No, that's like me talking to the lady and they like, they say okay, twenty your your final order I mean, is twenty six dollars. Yeah. Pull around. Yeah, you and your family pull around to the front. <laughs> no, it's just me. I know. I'm saying. <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. Like I, I understand the concept, but like that's not for for Taco Bell to weigh in and say because the guy was talking about. He said this is inflation. He's like, it's crazy. I go talk. I spent twenty eight dollars Taco Bell. I was like, well, the cheesy gordita crunch is four four twenty. 
Like the all the chalupa is is three forty five. Like like all of the specialty tacos cost the bag. Like you can get the regular tacos for whatever, but the menu has expanded and so has the prices for the menu. So I had a lot of people tweet at me their twenty eight dollar Taco Bell orders at ATW uh, B McCall um, made his slip four soft taco supremes. Two Mexican pizzas and two Chalupa Supremes will get you to twenty eight thirty two. That sounds pretty doable. Smooth, yeah, easy. Um, the most doable one I think I saw too, or the most delicious. Uh, this one comes out to twenty seven thirty three, but I think if you're within a dollar ballpark, I'm willing to give you grace. Okay. Um, this was from Jacket Dan on Twitter. Three soft taco Supremes, one Mexican pizza, one double steak grilled cheese burrito, and two Doritos cheesy gordita crunch. Um. It's interesting when you spread it out over multiple menu items like that. I can't tell if multiple of the same thing would be easier or if spreading it out over a larger swath and variety would be easier. Okay. Let me tell you my order and tell me if this sounds like it's $24. Four center twists. Okay. You got to start for the four center twists because if, if, you, if, you, if you say it last, then they're going to just put two in there and you got to make sure it's four. So four center twists. Two orders of nachos and cheese, one uh, chalupa supreme, extra cheese, no tomato, rice instead of beef, uh, one cheesy gordita crunch, extra cheese, rice instead of beef, and then a steak quesadilla with extra sauce, and that's that's it. Like so, like that. I don't think that, I don't think that's twenty eight dollars. That doesn't sound like twenty eight dollars to me. I'm, you got you don't know those specialty tacos, and once you get to that, uh, well, yeah, you're out here subbing rice for beef. I mean, who do you think you and, are? And, but every every time you hear me say extra cheese, that's seventy cents plus. So, well, yeah, I mean, you can go out here and I think like cheat the game like that, and like it's like it's cheating it's, the game. It's like when I used to try and gain weight, and they would tell you just like throw olive oil on everything because there's a ton of extra calories in there that don't come with that, like. You yeah. can throw extra cheese on shit and, you know, 70 cents your way to the goal line on this one and not feel as bad about it. I, I'm telling you, that that order, that order is probably right at $25, what I just said. And that's if I don't get another one, of, like one of those tacos gets doubled or if I'm, I'm feeling spicy and want a, um, a spicy soft taco, potato soft taco, those around two nineteen. Yeah, I mean, shit costs money. Oh, this one is really interesting. At Bronx Bulldog... One loaded truff nacho fries, which looks delicious, by the way. Um, they're not that great. And then four soft taco supremes. That costs mm. thirty fifty six. I mean, that's definitely a little bit of inflation. Although I will say, and I don't know if this is still the case, I went to try and build a menu out on Taco Bell's website yesterday. And yeah. for some reason, when I got to the checkout counter, every single item cost $1. So I had about nine different things in there, and it cost $9. So I don't know if that's a glitch right now. I don't know if it's still going. Try it. Run over there and see if you can get yourself some ordered Taco Bell for a very, very low price. Free game. Free game. Yes, free game. Free game out here in the streets as you attempt. If you if, if you manage to pull off the $28 challenge this weekend, send us video proof. Send us your actual slip from Taco Bell and let us know how you're living out loud here. We appreciate all of you guys so much for living out loud and living your truth. 
with this podcast, with any fast food challenge that comes your way. If you've enjoyed any of that, download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. playlist, where, again, you can just type in Gojo with, Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. into the search bar. It's going to bring you to our playlist. You will be able to prosper from there. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Be safe. We'll talk to you Monday. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.